Once again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, the grace and mercy of God enables us to have an after that is far better than our before. We are in a much better position after having obeyed the gospel of Christ Jesus than we could ever be before we obeyed the gospel. In Christ Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. In Christ Jesus, we have all spiritual blessings. Uh, in Christ Jesus, we are part of God's spiritual family. Uh, in Christ, the providence and provision of God enable us to live lives that are worry-free. Thus, we are better and better off, not because of ourselves, but because God is faithful and Jesus is Lord. Psalmist declares in Psalm 9, verse 10, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. And isn't it good, especially in the times in which we live, to serve the God that is ever faithful, uh, the God who wants to bless us uh, better than we are able to ask for blessings, and the God who knows all that we need. And for all of God's blessings, we ought to be eternally grateful. We want to direct your attention again to Luke 22, the text that was read into our hearing. We want to read again there verses 31 and 32. Luke 22, verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Based on the words here recorded in Luke chapter 22, uh, we want to use this morning as a subject when Jesus makes a man of you. When Jesus makes a man of you. And again, for the month of August, our sub-theme is People Jesus Knew. And as we consider the text that we have before us here in Luke 22, I submit to you that God wants to change us, not for selfish or self-serving purposes, but as the apostle declares in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants to change us. He desires to change us that we might experience the fullness of blessings that come from being his child. You remember Jesus said that he came that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly, John 10, 10. 
And when we look at Peter, the transforming power of our savior is clearly seen in the life of Peter. Peter was shaped by Jesus. Peter was not only an apostle of Christ Jesus, but he was one of the more, if not the most prominent of the apostles. And, and, and I don't say that to imply that there was a hierarchy or a pecking order among the apostles. And contrary, and contrary to what some may say, uh, Peter was not the first pope. And for that matter, he was never a pope at all. But consider some things noted about Peter in the Bible record. Excuse me, three times in scripture, we are given the names of the original apostles. In Matthew chapter 10, verses one through four, in Mark three, verses 16 through 19, and again in Luke six, verses 14 through 16. And when you look at these three lists, it, it, it strikes me that Peter is always mentioned first. Now, they don't always appear in the same order, and there's no doctrine to be formed from the fact that Peter's name is always first. I just find it interesting that in all three accounts, Peter is listed first, and Judas is always listed last. And the one thing that is said about Judas is that he betrayed Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul declares to us that Peter was one of the leaders of the early church. In Galatians 2 in verse number nine, he says, and when James, Cephas, who is Peter, so when James, Peter, and John, and this is James, uh, the Lord's brother, because the other James has been put to uh, death by Herod by, at this time. When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Now, Paul says Peter was one of the leaders of the early church. He was one of the men of influence at, at that time. And, and I submit to you that the man Peter became is not the man that he always was. And, and just for clarity's sake, let me define a man from God's perspective, because many people wouldn't know a man if he fell on them. And, and, and what I'm about to say is not just for single sisters who may be in the market for a husband. Now, this will help you, but this is just general information for all of us. A, a, a male is not a man because of physique or, or his ability to procreate. As the creator, God ought to know what makes a man a man. And when we go all the way back to the first man, to the man that God created, and notice what that man has. A man has, uh, now I submit to you that he has four things. He has suitability, accountability, viability, and responsibility. Now, now let me help you uh, uh, with those. When, when I say suitability, he has a spiritual identity. And to be even more clear, he has a relationship with God. And when I say a relationship with God, I mean he's a member of the Lord's church. 
I don't mean he's just a man that likes to read the Bible and will discuss religion. That, that's all well and fine, but, but a man has a relationship with God, and you can't have a relationship with God unless you are a member of the Lord's church. Now, now if you look with me back in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day. Now, when it says voice, you could understand that to be sound. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Now, it's the first thing that's said in verse 8 when they heard the voice or the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Well, how do you know what it sounds like when God is walking in the garden? Well, I submit to you that the way you know a sound is that you've heard the sound before. Now, we live over near Fort Meade Military Base, and some mornings I hear them play Reveille. Now, I don't know if I miss it other mornings because I'm sleeping harder or got up late or what the case might be, but some mornings I hear them play Reveille. Well, how do you know that's Reveille that they're playing? Because I've heard it before. So when you can identify a sound, you've heard the sound before. So when it says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, they had heard that sound before, which means God had stopped by to fellowship with them even before this time, Adam had a relationship with God. It, notice God called out to him, where are you? Now, now God wasn't asking because he couldn't find Adam, but Adam, something has changed. Usually when I stop by, you were right here for us to fellowship. Why are you hiding from me this time? And, and, and God asked because Adam needed to know. See, I know why you're hiding, but you haven't admitted it yet. But Adam had a relationship with God. Now, when I say he has accountability, that means a man has some domestic understanding. Well, well what does he understand about domestics? Well, he understands that sooner or later, he's going to need his own place. In, in Genesis 2 and verse number 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. See, Adam had his own place. Uh, you notice even animals understand that at some point the offspring need their own place. You know, I like lions. Do you know lions, after the male lions get to a certain age, the, 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 the male, the leader of the tribe will chase the, the younger lions out. You know what they letting them know? You need your own place. You know, some of us, we, we, we got offspring and we want to tell them so bad, you need your own place. See, you think you're grown and you want to come and, and go as you please and, and, and you want to sit around here and do what you want to do. You need your own place. Well, 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 a man at some point, he needs his own place. And especially if you're going to start your own family. Look, I haven't been working for you to raise your kids here. You, you, you need your own place to do that. I'd put my time in the trenches. Now, now you bring them over for the weekend and let me play with them and send them home happy, but, but you need your own place. Now, when we say he has viability, that means he has some economic awareness. Now, now what does economic awareness mean? He, he appreciates he needs to hold down a job. Uh, again, in Genesis 2, verse number 15, and the Lord God took the man 
and put him in, into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now, I just find it interesting. God gave him a job. And one of the first things God gave him, look, now, now, now you got a relationship with me. Uh, uh, you got your own place. Now you got a job. Uh, look, I put you in the garden to dress it and, and to keep it. Now, sisters, let me tell you, you, you want your man to have some viability. You, you want him to hold down the job. There's going to be some, some, some long, lonely, converse, uh, sad conversations with the elders. If you find a man that doesn't have viability, in addition to some vi uh, viability, he needs some responsibility. Now, now what's responsibility? Uh, he needs to understand provision duty. It's his job to supply life's necessities. Now, Genesis 2, verse 16, and the Lord, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. See, Adam, has, he, he, he had a way to feed Eve. You see, you could eat everything in this garden except for the tree in the middle. He could provide life's necessities. Now, that don't mean he can afford a mansion in Beverly Hills. It may be the best he can do was a shack on, on, in South Central. But, but he ought to do the best he can do with the ability that God gives him. And, and notice, Adam had all of these before God gave him Eve. See, that's our problem in life. We, we get these things out of whack. Sisters, you want to find a man and he don't have no suitability, no accountability, no viability, and no responsibility. And then you bring him to the church building and want the elders to do something with him. <laughs> now, now, he didn't have anything when you brought him in here. What makes you think they can just wave a magic wand and give him all the things that he needs? He, he ought to have those things before you say, I do. Because once you say, I do, you did until you did. <laughs> so a man has... A man has those four things. And it is, in particular, Peter's suitability, his spiritual identity on which we want uh, to focus this morning. Now, remember, uh, again, Peter was shaped by Jesus. Thus, it may be said that Peter was not only a man, he was God's man. And, and not because of physique or masculinity, but because he was a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, when examining the biblical record, one notices the extremes in Peter's character and Peter's living. In Peter, we see both humility and presumption. You remember in Capernaum in Luke 5, 8, after the draft of fishes that Peter said, depart from me, O Lord, for I'm a sinful man. That, that's just that humbling uh, 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 thing that comes to you when you stand face to face with, with God. Well, when you stand in God's presence, you just realize I'm unworthy to be associated with you. And, and so Peter's reaction was much that of Isaiah. But then when we uh, move over to Caesarea Philippi, you remember Jesus told the uh, disciples that he was going to be killed and Peter began to rebuke him and say, far be it from thee, Lord, this thing shall never happen unto thee. Uh, we see extremes in, in Peter's living. He confessed Jesus as the Christ, but he also denied three times that he even knew him. He beheld the glory of the Lord on the mountain, yet forsook him in the garden. It was to Peter that Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, 
and gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. But it was also to Peter that Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense to me. We just see extremes in Peter's living. And I, I, maybe for that reason, I find Peter uh, uh, identifiable. Eh? You know, if we're honest with ourselves, we got some extremes too. You know, everything about us is, is, is not always right and noble. Now, I know when we're telling the story of our living, we, we, we like to hit the high points. But like Peter, we have some lows in our living uh, as well. But for all that Peter had his noble and his less than noble moments, he ultimately sacrificed his life uh, uh, for the Lord. Now, tradition says he has to be crucified upside down uh, because he didn't feel himself worthy to die in the same way that Jesus did. Now, whether or not that happened, we're we not gonna argue. What I do know is that the scriptures say that Peter died for the cause of Christ Jesus. Now, the man to whom we are introduced early in Jesus's ministry on earth is not the same man who died a martyr for the cause of Christ Jesus. Peter was shaped by Jesus. And I submit to you that the declaration of Jesus in verse number 31, can, can you imagine Jesus saying to you, behold, Satan hath desire to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. See, Jesus just knew what he was talking about. And, and to have Jesus say, now, now the, the, the uh, pronoun there is plural, so he's talking to all of them. But, but notice he calls Peter's name. Satan has desired to have you. I, I just think that's one of the single most alarming things that can be said to an individual. Now, now you take like a first Peter five, eight, you know, where Peter said, be sober, be vigilant uh, for your adversary, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now that's, that's sobering. And, but it's true for all of us. See, it, the Lord didn't call anybody's name in that. We need all of y'all. Now, now, that's alarming because I don't want Satan after me at any rate. But, but generally speaking, he desires that he might sit, uh, uh, he's walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, again, I, you know, lions being my favorite animals, I just know something about lions. See, lions are stalkers. They don't just run in a, uh, into a herd and just try to grab whoever they can catch. They watch the herd. See, they watch to see if one is limping or a little bit older or, or, or something, which one is going to be the easiest target. Now, I always figured if I was in a crowd, I like my chances because I got to be faster than somebody in this group. <laughs> I, I make it a habit to hang out with folk that I, you know, somebody in this group, I know I can beat them running. <laughs> but if verse 31 is alarming, then verse 32 is comforting. Notice what Jesus said, but I have prayed for thee. You ever ask people to pray for you? But can you imagine having Jesus praying for you? I have prayed for you. And then he tells Peter how it's going to turn out, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Peter was shaped by Jesus in that he experienced the forgiving grace of Jesus. It's ironic that Peter was the one who asked the question about the limit of forgiveness. Do you remember that Matthew 18, 21? 
Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? See, Peter says, see, number eight, I ought to be able to just lower the boom on him. Because this is getting to be a habit. This is on purpose when you keep doing it. Look, seven is the number of completion. When he done did it seven times, he means it. The one who stood so in need of forgiveness wanted to know the limit thereof. Doesn't that sound like us? Now, don't we look at each other sometime and we can be critical, even condemning about the same faults that we ourselves have. You know, sometimes we, we ragging people about this, that, or the other, and it's true about us. Doesn't the Bible still say, for all have sinned? So, so whatever I can find wrong in you, somebody could find it wrong in me. But again, we have the statement of Jesus. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. But then notice what he said, and when thou art converted. Now, what that tells us is that Satan was unsuccessful in the sifting, but Peter's faith was shaken in the testing. See, the words of, it, uh, the words of Jesus indicate that the testing uh, by Satan would leave Peter in need of repentance. And do you remember that later uh, Jesus and Peter would have a conversation and Jesus would ask Peter three times, do you love me? Now, many debate if there's a significance as to how Peter answered Jesus. You know, if you read this in the original language, Jesus asked Peter, do you agape me? And Peter answered, yes, I phileo you. Now, now, if you know anything about the Greek, you know Greek agape is that unconditional love. Peter answered, yes, I have brotherly love for you. But I think to get hung up on that when none of us are experts in the Greek language is to miss the forest for the trees. Let, let me tell you what I think is really important there. Notice what Jesus asked him the first time. He didn't just ask him, do you love me? He asked Peter, do you love me more than these? And notice how Peter answered. Peter didn't say, I love you more than these. Peter just said, Lord, you know, I love you. Now, you notice this time Peter didn't make any of those impetuous claims that he was known for making uh, in the past. You remember when Jesus said, everybody's going to forsake me? You remember what Peter said? Though everybody should run off, even if your boy John, the disciple you love, even if you can't depend on him, you can count on me. Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? Peter didn't even answer about what everybody else did. Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. You know, ain't no need of me making no grand claims. I Look, I don't fail the test and... And I look, I still got some stuff I need to get together, but at least I'll admit that. How many folk you know won't even admit the faults that they had? You just live in denial. But then notice something else in Jesus' response. The first time Jesus said, feed my lambs. The next two times Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, Jesus if you remember back in John chapter 10, told us something about sheep, the shepherd, and the hireling. Jesus said the good shepherd 
or give his life for the sheep. But the hireling, look, the sheep don't belong to him. When the wolf comes, the hireling will take off. But do you notice what he said to Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you know what he's telling Peter? Number one, Peter, I forgive you. Yeah, you, 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 you lied and man started swearing and everything that you didn't know me. But I forgive you, Peter. But not only does he tell Peter, I forgive you, but he also tells Peter, and you know what? I trust you. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. You know, you can't leave your sheep with just anybody. Look, our elders can tell you that. Look, why is it that just don't appoint anybody to the eldership? Well, well, you can't just turn anybody loose on the sheep, man. It, it, it got to be somebody who care more for the sheep than they do about themselves if you're going to entrust the sheep to their care. So Jesus says, I forgive you and I trust you. And what better way to show that than to tell Peter, take care of his sheep. I trust you, Peter. Look, you, you, you haven't always done the right thing before, but that was before. We're talking about now. You, you've learned some lessons, Peter, and I know you're still not all you need to be. But that's what life is. Life is a process. You know, you, you get better as you go, Peter, if you keep walking with me. But not only did Peter experience the forgiving grace of Jesus, he received the empowering might of Jesus. And this is noteworthy because not everyone will submit themselves to Jesus. You remember Jesus saying to the unbelieving Jews in John 5, verse 40, and you will not come to me that you might have life. It's not everybody that will let Jesus work in their living. It's not everybody that wants to submit themselves to, to the uh, requirements of the gospel. But Peter was willing to humble himself before Jesus. Again, notice what Jesus says to him. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, if you're going to strengthen somebody, you need to have some strength yourself. You know, if I'm weightlifting, I prefer the person helping me to be stronger than me. Now, not because I feel inferior about myself, but if you're going to help me, I want you to be able to do more than I can. Look, it, now, now I, I'm, I'm a reasonable guy. I'm not going to go in there and try to bench press 200 pounds. I, I just know my limitations. You see me over there with 50 pounds on, on the bench press. Now, don't laugh. I just understand what God has blessed me with and what God has not blessed me with. But, but if you see me over on the bench press with 50 pounds, I don't want somebody that their limit is 35 over there trying to help me. No, look, if your limit ain't but 35, look, then I got to try to lift you on top of the 50 I already got on here. I want somebody stronger than me to help me. When you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus effectively said to Peter, this is who you are, but this is who I have the power to enable you to become. Do you know that the almighty power of God is still available to us today? In Ephesians 1 verses 19 and 20, Paul says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? See, that's where you got to have some suitability. Yeah? And that's why you got to have a relationship with Jesus. That's why you got to be a member of the Lord's church. Peter said, uh, Paul rather saying, now this ain't available to everybody. It's available to those who believe, those who are members of the Lord's church. 
according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now, what Paul is saying is that the same God uses the same almighty power to work in us that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. Why do you think Paul was walking around talking about I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me? See, because the almighty power of God is available. Now, that don't mean we're going to go out and work miracles like they did. That don't mean we should be walking around talking about name it and claim it. But God gives us the power to overcome. He gives us the power to endure. It's available to us today, which is why we shouldn't be walking around talking about, I don't know how much more I can take. Don't put a limit on God. You can take as much as God allows to come your way. If we humble ourselves before God and submit to his commands, the Lord will shape us even as he shaped Peter. Now, you heard me say at the outset of this message that we have a before and, a, and an after. Now, if our before and after were pictures, the after would have to be continually updated. Why is that? Because as we continue to grow in Christ, we become more mature. See, who I am today ought not be who I was 10 years ago. I ought to have matured in Christ. You know, we would find that strange, even physically speaking. You know, if you come to me and say, boy, Ricky, you haven't changed. You look the same way you did 40 years ago. No, I don't. Now, I might look similar, but I don't look the same. See, 40 years ago, the neighborhood hadn't started changing. Now, if you don't know what that means, you can see I got some white coming in over here. 40 years ago, I didn't have that. So I don't look the same. I, I look similar. Now, what you see prayerfully is 40 years more mature than I was 40 years ago, or at least more mature than I was 40 years ago. Lord, help me if I'm still the same individual that I was, uh, you know, as a teenager. But as we live in Christ, we become more mature, more suited for service, and more willing to sacrifice. So the picture changes. So what you see today ought not be an accurate reflection of what you see Lord bless us to be here 10 years from now. I ought to have grown some and the picture would look different. Peter was shaped by Jesus. And then third this morning, Peter witnessed the undeniable truth about Jesus. In your Bibles in 2 Peter 1 verse number 16, Peter says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. And, and I hope all of us appreciate that that's true of all of us. When people start talking about why the Bible this, the Bible that, the Bible is the word of God. And it's not cunningly devised fables. You know, if you had somebody who was trying to get over, why would you say that all have sinned? And that we all need to obey the gospel of Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, if you're trying to get over, you'd make somebody superior to somebody else. The Bible puts us all in the same category. Peter says, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, if you keep reading in 2 Peter 1 there, 
Peter's talking specifically about when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. Peter said, I was there. I'm not telling you what other people told me. I'm telling you what I saw and heard with my own eyes and ears. Well, what of us? We weren't there when God spoke from heaven. We didn't hear him say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, we weren't there to see Lazarus uh, come from the tomb when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. We weren't there when Jesus multiplied uh, the bread and the fish or, or any of the countless miracles that he did. What Peter saw with his eyes, we are able to see by faith. Now, somebody said, well, how does that work? How, how do you see something by faith? In John 8, verses 56 and 57, Jesus says there, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Now that just sounded outrageous to the unbelieving Jews. Notice what they said in verse 57. Then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old and hast thou seen Abraham? Look, Abraham died thousands of years ago and you ain't even 50. And here you are talking about Abraham rejoiced to see your day. You ain't never seen Abraham and Abraham has never seen you. They missed what Jesus was talking about. Abraham did see Jesus's day. He saw it by faith. And appreciate faith is not the absence of evidence. The evidence is the word of God. You know, we cite every Sunday, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, when you have the word from God, that's all the evidence you could ever hope for. Right, because the Bible says God cannot lie. Now, man is very accomplished at lying. So much so that sometimes we think we're telling the truth even when we're lying. But God cannot lie. Every word of God is pure. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. We have the word of God. And what we should have, in addition to the word of God, is we should have witnessed the things that the Bible teaches in our own living. We ought to, know, we ought to have experience that prayer does change things. And sometimes the thing is not my circumstances, sometimes the thing is me. And the things that I thought I couldn't live with, like Paul with a thorn in the flesh, God has blessed me to mature that now I rejoice in that thing. So it's not saying that we don't have evidence, it's just saying we know evidence when we hear it. The word of God is evidence. We have witnessed Jesus, not with our eyes like Peter did, but we have seen him nonetheless. We have seen him by faith. Peter was shaped by Jesus. Do you know God wants to shape us today? And like I said, not for selfish or self-serving purposes, but that we might be saved from the wrath to come and be used by God in the saving of others. Now, if we are going to have God save us, then God requires that we obey the gospel call. 
And the first step in that is that we must hear the good news that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for our sins, but was raised the third day for our justification. Now there's Romans 10, 17 again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. John 8, 24, Jesus says, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. We must be willing to repent of sin. Acts 17, 30, 31, the Bible says, the times of this ignorance, God winked. But now he commands that all men everywhere repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereas he has given assurance to all and that he has raised him from the dead. We must be willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Matthew 10, verse 32, Jesus says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, and will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. Then we must be willing to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. In Acts chapter 2, the first time the gospel was preached, when we get to verse 37, the people ask, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, in context, they wanted to know, how do we make matters right with God? In verse 38, Peter answered, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we respond obediently to the gospel, as a matter of grace and mercy, in the waters of baptism, God washes away our sins by the blood of Christ Jesus indwells us with his spirit and adds us to the church. You know, one of the reasons the Lord adds us to the church to give us some suitability. You know, we no good for anybody until we learn to follow Jesus. You know, you can't help anybody with anything that matters if you don't know Jesus. You remember the question Jesus asked, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, I can't help you with your soul if I haven't obeyed the gospel and let God save mine. But when we submit to the gospel of Christ Jesus, God adds us to the church and gives us suitability and thereafter requires that we live obediently in his service, that we show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Perhaps you're listening on one of the social media outlets and you want to be baptized into Christ Jesus. If that be the case, then we bid you reach out to our elders at elders at laurelchurch.net. If you're here in the audience, then we bid you to come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation. <laughs>